0: I'm Melissa Elizabeth for the Heart Temple. And I'm Nick Rivera with Chain Assembly. And together we've designed a project called Women's Wheel. It's based on the philosophy of women evolving with the seasons.
1: And new modern archetypes that exist within those seasons.
0: This new way of thinking is presented in a core set with many items and activities designed to further understanding between you and the women around you.
1: Much more than self-help, these tools are for one or more participants in a community growing setting.
0: Learn more about the Women's Wheel core set and its development at www.womenswheel.co. I'm lucky enough to have Joshua Ginsburg with me today. Joshua is a writer who I've met locally uh, because you're in the same St. Petersburg area as I am. Uh, We've ran into each other at a couple of events. But uh, Joshua is a writer who's got three books published so far and a fourth one that's going to be coming out soon. And they're mostly, uh, I believe they're all nonfiction so far. So Joshua, thank you so much for the time to talk to me. Thank you so much for having me. Uh,
1: it was also great seeing you and, and chain assembly at uh, um, the Tabernacle of Oddities uh, the other week. Um, but it's great to be here. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was um, my first time doing that event, and it was really good. I've, I've, I've probably talked about this before, and some of the other uh, people I've spoken to in the podcast about finding events that fit your specific niche for your audience, and that was absolutely the kind of event for my audience. So it worked out very well for me. Did you have a fun time uh, shopping at it? Uh, I did, and you know, I do a lot of events. Uh, I have sort of a standing
1: monthly appearance. Over at Tiger Dust, who is partnered with um, Dysfunctional Grace, who, who was the host. And so, like yourself, you know, I found uh, these are very much my kind of weirdos.
0: <laughs> so, um, I, I, I was at that specific event, the Tabernacle of Oddities, alone, so I wasn't able to walk around or shop around. Uh, were there other authors at the event? Uh, there was another
1: author, and I forget the gentleman's name, but he does all of the, uh, or, or I should say a lot of the abandoned Florida books. Um, and, and I've read some of those, uh, which, you know, is kind of more specifically urbex. That's, the, you know, uh, if you were to create a Venn diagram of kind of urban exploration or what they call urbex and, and the sort of things I write about, there would be a lot of shared territory. Um so you know it was great to meet him and uh certainly see a lot of the other vendors. Uh Godriguez always has fascinating uh oddities. Mm-hmm.
0: Cool. So uh have you done uh so you said you've done a couple events. I've done events with you. Why uh would you say you didn't do this one specifically?
1: Um you know I actually didn't uh apply to it and my feeling is uh, you know, I do a lot with Tiger Dust. Um, I wasn't sure that I had enough variety yet in terms of my offerings. Um, I will very much look into it for next year. Um, you know, I have a fourth book coming out and I'm actually, you know, lucky enough to be able to say I have a, a fifth and sixth um, uh, book coming out in the next couple years. So so I have a bit of a pipeline. So as As that grows, you know, I think participating in some of these larger events and also cons, you know, I haven't done any cons like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Spookala or uh, um, Sunshine City Scare, which I am going to be doing uh, next year. So, you know, I'm just kind of gradually uh, uh, learning my way through a lot of these
0: well, I think that's uh, kind of a good teaser about what it is you do right? So can you describe the three books you have and how you kind of got interested in those subjects?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, my first book is called Secret Tampa Bay, A Guide to the Weird, Wonderful, and Obscure. And this one came out in 2020, and it was a very weird and circuitous route that led me to it. So it's essentially kind of offbeat travel. If you've been to websites like Atlas Obscura or Roadside America or Weird Florida, if you like to, you know, stop at weird monuments or see strange, unique tombstones or uh, uh, pink painted dinosaurs by by various roadsides or abandoned amusement parks or just very strangely specific museums. Um, That's all sort of stuff that I I love and am very passionate about. Um, So so that was my first book. Uh, I had a follow-up the following year, which kind of gamified this sort of quirky, offbeat travel, and that was called Tampa Bay Scavenger. And so it was 361 rhyming riddles that led people to different places throughout Hillsborough Pinellas Manatee and Sarasota county so kind of like uh, you know taking what i was writing about and trying to trying to turn it into a game and a, and a scavenger hunt and then my third book which came out last year was oldest tampa bay which was uh, a bit more historical you know the oldest uh, cemetery, the oldest church and synagogue and garden club and nudist colony and, and all sorts of things, um, which is a lot of fun to write. And now this fourth book coming out will be Secret Orlando, a guide to the weird, wonderful and obscure. And I should mention, I've co-written that with an award-winning uh, journalist out in or the Orlando area. And then I'm also hard at work Uh, writing a fifth book, that will be my first one for the history press. And that one is called Haunted Orlando. So that brings me a bit more into a creepy, weird kind of haunted uh,
0: vibe. Very cool. Well, there's a lot to dive into. So let's start with the first one. Uh, What was the process from... Probably kind of a vague, broad question, but it might bring up some more specific follow ups. What was the process from concept to publication? Sure. And, uh, it, you know, for me, and,
1: and maybe this is a little bit unique, I was writing the book before I realized I was writing a book. Um, and so I, I probably need to back up. To almost seven years ago, when I was still living in Chicago with my wife, we had yet to move to Tampa. Um, we had decided, after a close friend of mine had passed away, that we, you know we didn't. Uh, that was kind of a catalyst for change for me. Uh, he and I had grown up writing together and working on on literary zines and always kind of pushing and encouraging uh, one another to. Uh, to, to write and to pursue creative passions. Um, and when he passed, uh, we decided that, you know, we, we wanted to, to live somewhere else. And, uh, we fell in love with Tampa and we spent our last six months in the city of Chicago. I decided I wanted to spend my last days there trying to discover the city, trying to see the city in a way that I had never seen it. Maybe in a way that people who've lived there, you know, forty or fifty or sixty years or or their whole lives have never seen it. So I I became a fan of uh, that website Atlas Obscura, uh, and it it you know I I went to all these strange places, uh, uh, weird monuments and hidden fountains and, and secret tunnels and little known places. And, uh, I realized, uh, I absolutely love this and I continued to do it when we moved here, at which point I started not just using that website, um, but also contributing to it. And, uh, you know, as time went on, they, they ended up publishing some 30 or 40 of my submissions. And uh, I was in, I think I was in an airport at one point, and I was flipping through a book called Secret Philadelphia. And it was part of this series that was put out by a publisher in St. Louis called Reedy Press. And I kind of scratched my head and I said, you know, I, I bet maybe I could write something like that. And then I then I thought, oh my God, I think I actually have written this, and my next you know, step was to uh, go online and take a look at their their list of books, and I saw that they didn't have a, a book called Secret Tampa or Secret Tampa Bay, and I thought, well, you know, maybe maybe they would want one, um, so I just called the publisher. I'm pretty sure that's the way they tell you never to do this. Um, but, you know, I went ahead and I asked and, and I called and I said, look, you know, uh, I'm a writer. I write about strange places. You know, I've, I've had several of my submissions published on this this Atlas Obscura site and elsewhere. Um, are you folks looking for uh, a book covering the Tampa Bay area? And they said, yes. And I said, well, thank you. I understand. And, and, yeah, and then I realized, wait a minute. They said, yes. Um, so I, <laughs> I was fully expecting them to uh, turn me down. But um, I'd spoken to a woman named Barbara there and she said, let me give you the, the number of our um, owner who handles all the acquisitions, and so I reached out to him thinking again, you know, I'm probably going into some, some uh, voicemail round file here, uh, but he actually called me back, I think, just a few hours later, and he asked if I would send him some writing samples, which I did, and uh, he asked if I would put together a marketing plan, um, which I did, And uh, I I should also mention, in doing the research, so I picked up a few of these books, like Secret Atlanta and Secret Philadelphia, and I realized they all had kind of a similar format, right? They all had like 90 chapters. So I created my own mock table of contents to show them, you know, hey, I understand sort of how your books are laid out and this is the content that maybe I would include. So I I did some some due diligence on that up front, um, and I sent that to him. And then when, by the time he asked for a marketing plan, I was one hundred percent dying to close this. So I I said you know whatever he asked me for, I'm gonna I'm gonna give two hundred percent. So. Um, the marketing plan they wanted really just consisted of like, you know, 25 media contacts. So I went out and found 50, um, you know, 20 or 30 places where that would be willing to host me for an event. So again, I doubled that and came up with 60. And then uh, I think they wanted 15 or 20 independent stores that might stock it. And I did the same thing. Whatever, whatever he asked for, I gave twice as much. And at the end of that, really in just a matter of a few months, um, I was looking at my first publishing
0: contract. So, what marketing did they do on their side, uh, in addition to what you put together? So, so they
1: have a marketing team. It's a small team, but um, you know, I I work with them in the lead up to the release of a book, um, and they. Um, they actually have some incentives too. So they give all their authors a small marketing stipend. You know, I think it's something like a hundred dollars. It's not huge, but it helps. And it um, and and you have to lock down, I think, uh six or ten uh, events before that is released. But so, sorry, terms- so that
0: hundred dollars is used to I guess pay for your attendance at events, like a tape like a yeah, booth at a I'd- At a book fair or something like that
1: right I mean really it's it's at my discretion how how I use it I always put it into the marketing somehow whether that's printing flyers or printing materials or you know buying a table or paying registration fees at different events I mean it you know $100 goes pretty quick but it is it is definitely helpful But they so so they have someone who is dedicated to um sort of media and PR, and so he will generate the press releases, put together a press kind of a press kit, and send that to you know the different radio and TV and newspaper uh contacts in in the area. Um, and they have someone that kind of assists, um really kind of aerial cover. You know, if if I need um, slicks, uh, kind of sales slicks printed, they put together um, some sales slicks and some other things that they send me. Um, Sorry, and, I'm not familiar with that term, sales slicks. Can you explain what that is? Uh, yeah, it's it's just sort of like a one pager, you know, kind of like okay. a, like a, a one page, you know, about the book. Um, I am on my own for a lot of my marketing, but... Um, I coordinate with them and, and some authors do and some authors don't. But I found uh, they're very receptive and very supportive of my ideas. I mean, really, honestly, uh, y- you know, I'm, I'm looking down the pike at, at what will be my fifth book with them. And they have been really fantastic to work with.
0: Do do they like bundle your marketing in with other books they have coming out too or other authors they're working with? Or were you kind of just like as your own entity when being promoted by them?
1: Uh, I I guess a bit of both. You know, um, they do some, some marketing that is specific to me and my book. But in this area, they also do, for example, a, a series of books called A Hundred Things to Do. Before you die, so here in the Tampa bay area uh author um kristen hare um who who is now I think on the third edition of that book um she had her third edition coming out I think around the same time that I had oldest Tampa Bay coming out, so I think it was a lot of cross marketing and we did some events together which which was really a lot of fun,
0: okay. Cool. Uh, So I also want to ask you a bit more about the organization of the document. So you mentioned the table of contents. I I always do the same thing. I start off with that because it helps take a nebulous idea and makes it more of a checklist I can fill out section by section. Um, When you do your writing, what type of uh, software are you using for your writing? You know, I'm just using good old fashioned Microsoft Word.
1: Um, I, I, uh, Um, and, and the first one, I think in a lot of ways was probably the easiest to write because I was starting with so much content that I had kind of already created, not necessarily things that I would published, but you know, I'd been traveling around. I'd already done uh, a lot of the, the photos as well. I do all of my photography, um, when it, when I can for historical photos, of course, I use things like, um, Uh, Florida Memory Project or uh, Hillsborough Memory or, uh, you know, there's a ton of great archives. Um, But they had a kind of a specific um, uh, format, right, which they sent me and they, you know, it sort of explained like, you know, 90 chapters, each maybe 300 to 400 words. And then, you know, there's a title. There's a question. as a subtitle. Uh, you know, there's a photo, a photo caption, and then a little section that's sort of like additional information. So I mean, they they really kind of gave me a pretty clear layout to follow, and uh, you know, it was it was up to me in terms of what what things I was going to choose for that.
0: So within the photos that you take, when you're delivering these items to the publisher. Uh, how do you label the photos? Yeah, I usually label it uh, the same name
1: as the chapter. And I mean, we we okay. just use like Dropbox, you know, for the photos. Um, and, and of course, they go through rounds of edits too. So, okay. um, you know, they'll send me kind of a typeset version and I can just make sure, you know, everything looks good. Um, they're usually very, very good about that. But you know, every once in a while, like a photo that's supposed to be for one chapter might end up with another. So you know, I go through and and typically get a chance to do a few rounds of of edits and changes. Um, but you know, I, I really try, I really endeavor to deliver to them something
0: that is uh, very very clean. Okay, so they do all the the book layout themselves then.
1: Correct. They do the cover design. They do the layout. Um, so, you know, I mean, they're, a, they're a, a small press. I think they put out about four or 500 titles now. So, um, you know, may, may larger, larger than a lot of independents. But, you know, uh, overall, I think they still qualify as kind of small press, you know, edging toward, you know, small mid-sized.
0: So, how do you go about doing the research for your? I get well again, focusing on just this one book specifically. You already said you had thirty to forty articles ready to go. Imagine you had to kind of tweak those to fit within the parameters. But yeah. what is the editing process for finding things to put in the book or take out of the book to get it to that ninety chapter count?
1: Yeah, at whatever ninety chapters I think I'm going to be writing about, it always changes, um, and that's you know uh, that's just kind of a matter of, I think, trusting that, that the direction that has taken me this far will will sort of continue to do so. And a lot of times, I mean, I begin with research online or uh, I keep running lists of strange things that people have told me that I really need to go see. Um, and so I go see those things. And of course, while I'm there, I end up talking to the proprietors or other people. And they say, oh, you know, if, if you like this... Um, giant castle made out of aluminum siding. You would really like this other thing that you know my friend created in his backyard. That's like a giant working volcano. So you know, it's sort of like one thing leads to another. Mm. And what I found is that uh, a lot of these people, it, I mean, yes, what they're doing is sort of secret, but it, but there's there's secrets that they want people to kind of know about.
0: Sure. Were there a lot of items they ended up having to edit out of the book? Or is it like once you hit 90, you're like, thank goodness, I got it. We're good to go. Um, I think every single book I've written, I have overwritten
1: somewhere in the order of 10 to 15 chapters. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, that's actually part of my process because then I'll go back through and I'll have some friends and beta readers look at it and I'll say, you know, which chapter, which two chapters, did you like least? Um, and so I'll kind of carve those off. But uh, I, I try to cannibalize and and sort of reuse everything. So a lot of chapters that maybe don't make it into my books will end up um, as kind of bonus content that I post from time to time on my blog, which is Terra Incognita Americanus. And, and that's just a fancy pants, Latin way of saying unknown American lands.
0: <laughs> nice. So what is the uh, production process? Once the final manuscript is signed off on, you're okay with it, they're okay with it. Was that first round of books being printed in the United States or being printed in overseas? And how long did it take before you got to get it in your hands? Um, so that's a great question.
1: I believe it has changed somewhat over the last few years as a result of supply chain distribution, uh, you know, kind of hiccups. Um, uh, so, so originally I think they were doing a lot of their printing overseas. Um, you know, my book came out in, at the beginning of 2020, which was kind of a weird time to be putting out a travel book because, you know, a few (laughs) months into that year, like all of a sudden nobody could travel. Um, I mean, thankfully, everybody could still sit around and apparently read about all the places they couldn't (laughs) travel to. But um, so so, uh, the past few years, apparently, I know for Reedy, and my understanding is for a lot of small and mid and even large presses, um, there's been a lot more sort of unreliability. So typically, they give me a date. So with Reedy, for example— they put out titles twice a year, um, you know, in the fall, typically in September, and then in the spring. So, for my past three, and I guess this will be the fourth now, um, for my first four books with them, I've, my, these books have come out in the fall. So, <clears throat> I sent my final approval to them, I think, a month and a half ago, two months ago. And they let me know that that their printer, who I, I think these might now be printed in the U.S. I'm not 100% sure, um, but I know that we're on track. Um, the official publication date is September 15th. Now, out of an abundance of caution, again because sometimes things show up to their warehouse and there's there's damage or there's some sort of problem or there's delays. Um, so I typically don't schedule my first launch event until a full month after the official publication date. So, so I, you know, I have got a really heavy load of kind of appearances and events October, November, December, but relatively little if anything um, in September those first couple weeks, just because I want to make sure they have time to to get books. Uh, down to me and, and to some of the bookstores here in Florida. Um, so, y- you know, it's it, COVID has taught me uh, to be very flexible with, with my strategies, right? Um, and and to, to give things maybe a little more time than you think they really need.
0: Well, I'm particularly glad to hear you kind of describe that publication date as more or less nebulous. uh, Because when when I'm filling out the details on like Boker for my ISBNs and the the things I'm putting together, uh, like, for example, I'm going to be filling out that information well before the book gets published because I need to get that ISBN number to build the barcode to put on the cover design. And so my I'm always like, I don't know exactly what date to put for the publication date. I'm like, well, I guess the Kickstarter is probably going to end at this day and maybe a few weeks after that, I'll actually have the PDF ready to give people. So maybe that'll be my publication date. But it's good to know that it doesn't have to be so super finite um, and that you're doing your um, your launch party a month after it comes out or after it's listed as having come out.
1: Yeah, and and you know uh, when Tampa Bay Scavenger came out, uh, it was actually a little bit delayed. So I had this uh, this event with um, uh, of another local author, Craig Pittman, and this was at Oxford Exchange, and uh, the books weren't there yet. So uh, uh, you you know it was it was a minor hiccup, and and people um, you know placed orders for them, and it was fine, but. Um, you know, it, it's just a, it's just a reminder that that certainty, I think whether you're an author or an entrepreneur or really just a living human being at this time and place, like we deal with a lot of uncertainty right now.
0: So with, with the um, the connections you made with local independent booksellers that wanted to carry your product, In that type of situation, are they saying, yes, sign me up for 25 copies or something like that, and then you pass that information on to the publisher, and then they ship them those copies? Do they ship it all to you, and you bring it to them personally? What does that look like? Yeah, it's a bit of a mix. Um, I generally, I
1: try to stay away from consignment for the most part, although saying that, there are two places where I have a consignment relationship that has been really, really productive. Um, One is South Tampa Trading Company, and the other is Tiger Dust. And I feel like virtually every month, I'm kind of replenishing their stock. Nice. Um, so, so, those, you know, uh, when, when you're dealing with kind of a consigned basis, um, I provide to them out of, out of my stock of books. Um, for the most part, most independent booksellers either buy them directly from the publisher or uh, my book is also uh, carried by Ingram. Um, so Ingram's one of the large book distributors, and, and uh, I'm really thankful that they carry my books. But that's how it gets into a lot of the independent stores.
0: With the, is, so the initial publication I'm presuming, or the initial printing I'm presuming, was hardcover? Uh, actually, all, all of the printing so far
1: uh, have been strictly paperback. And then I think there are, you know, like Kindle and digital versions.
0: So let's talk about, I guess, the um, monetary reward for each individual copy sold. Is that how it's structured? Did they give you uh, like payment up front for the book? I don't know. How is that organized?
1: Uh, I think what you're talking about is what, what they often refer to as an advance.
0: There um, are <laughs> so the, the technical term. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Most – most authors and and certainly most most small and mid-sized uh, booksellers so far as I'm, I'm aware do not give you an advance uh, when you're you know um, Stephen King or, or John Grisham or choose your famous writer here um, yes they may they may you may have the kind of relationship where they will uh, offer you an advance on what they they know they're going to to sell Um but that's pretty rare. So um, I did not receive upfront payment. I get I receive um, royalties twice a year. So every six months from each book, I receive, I think it's only like ten percent of what they have sold. Um, but then, uh, which, you know, they're they're based in St. Louis. Um, you know, they're, they're selling to some of the in, independent stores and some of the, the distributors, but really the bulk of my sales um, are, are still really driven through me. I mean, Amazon does, does sell a lot, um, but when I sell books directly, so what I do is I, I'm given the opportunity to purchase books uh, at a 50% discount and then resell them at at cover price Hmm. and so that's really um you know my own sales and marketing through my website and at at events uh is how i've i've generated most of of the money from my books
0: so with the royalties is it a percentage of all the ones that you're not involved in the sale of i guess like a smaller percent okay is that percentage different if it is say through Ingram versus through some other method or is it always the same percentage?
1: It is it is mostly the same where it differs I think is with uh like electronic purchases which if somebody buys, you know, an ebook version I I think I come away with like a whopping 25 cents or something like that.
0: Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> Sure. And so the the uh, royalties that you're getting paid twice a year, is that a check that you get in the mail or what's the payment That's method? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. So so I receive
1: uh, a check twice a year and, um, you know, I've, again, I've been really lucky. I feel like, um, secret Tampa Bay has been kind of a, a sleeper, but it's been pretty steady. I mean, you know, I'm not receiving tens of thousands of dollars, um, you know, twice a year, um, but it's it's been uh, a steady amount. And a lot of times, what happens with titles is, you know, the first one is really good, the first mm. royalty payment's really good, and the second one is is pretty good, and then then the third one's kind of okay, and and they sort of, you know, they sort of of taper off. But I think I've had a few things working in my favor. One of which is that every year I've been putting out a book. And when, when one of my new books comes out, I feel like it sort of refreshes and rejuvenates um, some of the other titles. Sure. Um, and then, you know, just with the massive quantity of people who keep moving here, um, I feel like the subject of kind of strange, curious, local travel uh, really is kind of evergreen
0: yeah absolutely. I mean, it also makes a great uh, so my wife's a real estate agent, and uh, typically whenever a real estate agent helps someone buy a house, they always try to give them some type of like welcoming gift or thank you gift and And mm-hmm. books on Florida are always great great situations for that. Oh oh
1: yeah. and, and you know, there's so many great local authors um, uh, who who really uh, have been very friendly and very welcoming. Um, so I mean, it's it's not only a lot of great locally talented authors, but but I feel like a great writing community.
0: So when you do get that uh, that that I forgot the word already. The, oh, let's call it a renumeration oh, check, the, the royalty
1: check, <laughs> the royalty yep.
0: check. Yeah. Does it break down what where they came up with that number? Does it give you details on all the sales? Uh, it does. <laughs> it does, and they they also provide
1: you know, they provide me with monthly sales numbers. Um, I'm probably a little bit more, um, wonky about that. I do a lot of my, my own tracking and, you know, typically, um, especially in the months leading up to, and the months following the release of the book, not uncommon for me to coordinate with their sales and marketing people and, and talk to them even weekly, just to kind of have a pulse on what's happening. Um, if, if, for example, I've seen some, some great new independent books bookstores spring up like uh, Bookends in Ybor City or uh, The Gilded Page in Tarpon Springs. And when these, these new folks um, enter the scene, you know, I let Reedy know and I, oftentimes I'll go out and try to, you know, kind of check out the store um, and, and, you know, learn uh, what their preferred method Uh, And level of interest is in in having my books there, and sometimes, um, you know, they they want to go through uh, Ingram, or sometimes they want to go through the publisher. But I'll I'll typically coordinate and let the sales folks at Reading know sort of, hey, this is what I did last week. Um, You know, this is where I think uh, maybe you could follow up with so and so who wanted some books. So it's it's very much a symbiosis.
0: As far as the authors that have been working under reading, would you say you're more involved than most? About the average? Less?
1: I, I you know, hard for me to say because we're all. <laughs> sure. um, I mean, we're like we're all over the place. Um, I, I try to be. Uh, I, I, I would think I'm, I'm definitely kind of more active. Um, and you know, uh, there was uh, someone there that that I really had a great relationship with. Uh, and, and I know she worked really ceaselessly, not only getting my books, but a lot of people's books into different stores. Um, a great lady, her name was Michelle Leahy and, uh, uh, she passed away, uh, just a couple months ago and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was really a loss, but, but I know, uh, the folks there, um, have, have been taken over effectively, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I just wanted to give her kind of a, a posthumous uh, shout out because she really was a big reason that you can walk into so many of these different stores and see my book there.
0: So with your relationship with Ingram, was that initiated by you or by Reedy? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so, so Reedy Press, they have – that's a relationship that they've had for some time. So, I mean, I, I really have no direct interaction with uh, Ingram now, Ingram offers booksellers uh, apparently certain certain discounts, and sometimes you know uh, if if one of my books kind of falls off that discount list, and or or you know uh, recently someone tried to get some books through Ingram and they were on back order. So you know whenever there's I run into or learn about those sort of hiccups. Um, I'll pass them along to Reedy and they'll kind of resolve that through their channel and those relationships.
0: Awesome. I'm learning a lot (laughs) about this. (laughs) Thanks for answering all my very specific questions. (laughs) All right. I mean, it's funny, like you you never realize you're an expert in something until you have answers to somebody else's questions. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, no, no problem. And and I should let you know, I
1: mean, it's it's kind of funny for me, too, because um, when somebody says, oh, you know, you're sort of an expert on this, I think, well, no, I'm not. I've I've done it like three or four or or five times. And people are like, yeah, you should probably know what you're doing by now. But let me reassure you, I don't.
0: All right. So now let's try and transition this into your next book. So uh, you also said that um, The the Secret Tampa Bay has been your most profitable book so far. Do you think that's just because it's been out the longest or off the bat, it had better sales than any of the others right after release?
1: Yeah. I Well, I, I would say both. I mean, certainly longevity matters. Um, we actually just did, you know, over the past several months, um, they do print runs, I think of, of typically like 2,000 books and uh, we actually went into a second printing, which means that we sold all 2,000 from that first print run. Um, which was really exciting for me. I mean you know look, I know there's authors out there that are like, yeah I, I do that much every week. Um, but for me, um, even if it took a couple of years, selling through that whole print run um, was was really kind of cool and it meant, that I got to make a, a second uh, printing. And it's not like a full second edition, but I did get to replace uh, a couple things that had sort of aged out and closed and put in some newer things. And then, you know, every five years or so, um, I think thereabouts typically, um, you know, I'll have a chance to kind of create a new edition of some of these books where I can really go back And do sort of a deep dive. Because, I mean, uh, Tampa Bay Scavenger, for example, I mean, with like 361 different things, like I I would say as many as like 60 or 70 of those have probably already aged out because the area is changing so quickly.
0: Have all three of your books been published by Reedy Press?
1: Uh, All three so far and and the fourth one as well. However... Um, I am working on my first book, which will be for a different publisher. So uh, it is due to them in November. And at this point, I'm maybe just shy of being about a third of the way through the writing. Um, but I am working on Haunted Orlando for the History Press.
0: OK. And why did you decide to move with a different press? Was Reedy Press not interested, not their topic or a different reason?
1: yeah, you know, I, I gave them sort of the the right of first refusal. and and I should mention the way this all started was um, I was contracted by the Jolly Trolley in Clearwater <laughs> to write <laughs> okay. to, to, you know, you know, they they heard about my books and they read them, and they asked if I would write uh, a trolley tour for them. So I wrote uh, a, a ghost tour called uh, hauntedclearwater.com, which uh, is still still running uh, on the Jolly Trolley. And that brought me back to writing ghost stories. And, uh, you know, I've always kind of had a, a soft spot for, for scary stories. And it was so much fun to write that I reached out to Reedy Press and I said, would you guys ever want to do a book of kind of local ghost stories? And uh, they said, well, you know it's not really our thing. And so I said, uh, would, would you mind, would it be okay if I you know, took, took that book to somebody else who might be interested? And they said, yeah. I mean, it too, and, and uh, it should be noted, I'm not under any sort of contractual obligation with any of these publishers. So um, – you, you know, uh, I, I just wanted to make sure that, that I was being respectful of them because, like I said, they've, they've been really good to me and, uh, you know, having a good publisher uh, makes you want to be a good author for them as well. So they said, yeah, you know, go ahead and talk to whoever you like. And I knew that uh, the history press had this series called Haunted America. And once again, I did what I had done before, where I looked at their list of books and I saw that they did not have a book called Haunted Orlando. And so uh, just through their website, I, I pitched the idea. And very quickly, um, their acquisitions folks got back to me. And I went through a very, very similar process to what I did with Reedy, where you're sort of creating a table of contents and, and you know, essentially creating sort of you're you are kind of pitching the book and uh, coming up with different places and venues for events and independent booksellers and media contacts. And so I, you know, by this time I was sort of like, okay, you know, this, this process feels familiar to me. And again, very, very shortly thereafter, I was, uh, um, you know, just, just thrilled to learn that they, uh, they'd give me the green light.
0: Did your,, uh, well, you mentioned you're not contractually uh, obligated to be with 3D Press, but um, I guess contract would probably still be the best word. Did your contract for those first three books with them change over time? or was it always pretty much the exact same numbers, exact same situation?
1: Um, I, I, I'm trying to remember if there were any significant changes. I don't think they were. I think those first three books, the contract was very similar. Now the fourth book, it is a bit different um, because I have a co-author. So, um, you you know, uh, I, I will. I think we're we're both receiving a little bit less of a percentage in um, in royalties, um, but the expectation is that we will jointly sell more. Um, So, so I I was uh, entirely comfortable with that.
0: Okay. Now, regarding that Jolly Trolley, what are some other things you've done as a writer that are maybe tangential to publishing a book, but are opportunities for making profit that have been opened up to you since you started doing this?
1: Yeah, I mean, it has been, um, really kind of amazing. Um, tour writing, that was something that was really, really fun. And, uh, something that I would like to do more of, something um, that I was hoping to do more with uh, the Jolly Trolley and, and might still. But I know they've had kind of some organizational changes there that have put on hold, I think, some, some additional tours. But um, I would love to, to write more tours, whether it's walking tours or boating tours or, you know, uh, bicycling tours. Um, I think that's a really fun way. To write, uh, write local stories, um, and and I believe that there's, depending on how you do it, there, you know that can be uh, a very lucrative thing as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because I know just generally from my experiences. As a working artist, uh, you, you can't just make money through one avenue. You have to really open yeah. yourself to everything that is even remotely similar to that. So, yeah, you know. I, I, m- multiple streams of revenue—that
1: was always kind of my my thing. And and long ago, when I lived in Chicago, I actually ran a business um, renting fine art, and it was the same idea. You know, it was something there was a very different way for artists to generate revenue. It was called uh, Chicago art leasing. And, and I've just kind of recently passed the, the reins and ownership on to someone else, uh, who lives there. Oh, awesome. But that really instilled in me this idea, um, you know, as a content producer, there's a lot of different ways to monetize that. I mean, uh, we're coming up on October and, and spooky season as they call it. But, uh, you know, a lot of those haunted attractions need to be scripted. Um, so there's opportunities to write, um, you know, uh, write scripts for, for those sort of, uh, amusements, um, or to license content or to, um, you know, I've actually been getting more recently, um, getting getting into fiction writing and uh this will probably sound crazy but in the last few months uh i've produced nearly 300 pages of of short fiction wow. and i'm just kind of <clears throat> starting to see where that can go um starting to see some of my work get published uh, mostly in smaller magazines and it's it's a lot of sci-fi and fantasy and horror um but it's uh you know with enough of it i'm thinking maybe maybe i could create a collection and then you know that opens up whole new vistas um, you know i th- i think if you're you're doing fiction the place where you can generate the, the 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 biggest numbers as far as revenue is is if you're able to get it optioned by studios but that's that's an entire realm that i know nothing about as of today <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, that gives me another gold a category and expert to bring onto the podcast.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure, I I would love to love to hear. Uh, And in fact, you know who has had success with that is another local writer, um, a woman named Sarah Penner. Um, Her first couple books have been, you know, New York Times bestsellers. Um, I read her first one and, and thought it was really very good, and she has kind of locked in on that formula that I think really works. So she is uh, is just killing it, and I am uh, so happy for her.
0: I do have someone else in the film industry that I'm going to be bringing in for an episode, but not on the writing side. Anyways, um, so <laughs> bringing it back to the topic at hand, um, it this is a question that I want to start asking my guests more regularly. Is there... Another person that you could say you've been trying to model your business after, or who you're, who is inspiring the business side of your writing.
1: Yeah, so I I think of myself as as and in fact I have this on my card odd uh, trooper. I like weird niche businesses, uh, and and also in terms of personal branding. Um, I, I, I think uh, Curiosity Seeker is probably the most accurate brand. Well, to my way of thinking, the guy who maybe best defined that as a brand, as a very successful brand, um, was Robert Ripley. I mean, he built an empire on this weird sort of things that I love to go out to see. Uh, and in fact, Ripley's is headquartered in Orlando. And in my upcoming book, uh, there's a chapter about the, the Ripley's uh, warehouse where they keep a lot of things that, that are not and, and probably cannot ever be shown in public. Um, but, but I think as a model, you know, from a business perspective, Ripley is somebody who uh, you know, found this formula that worked um, as a cartoonist. And was able to transform that into this incredible uh, and very diverse um, enterprise. And it's all kind of very squarely in that curiosity seeker brand.
0: Oh, okay. That is a fun inspiration to use. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Could you um, let me know, is your um, writing all done as like a, or I guess your business organized as uh, LLC, sole proprietorship, just not, no business structure behind it. What did you put together and why did you decide to do that? So at the moment I am once again,
1: sort of a, a individual sole proprietor, um, or essentially just a DBA. Um, I, I had, you know, when I was running my art business, I had that, that set up as an LLC, but as I mentioned, I've kind of transitioned the ownership. Uh, it is my plan to create a fresh LLC to cover my creative endeavors. Um, the reason that I think it's useful, and, and there's, there's actually a lot of different reasons, um, but the biggest one is it just gives you, as a creator, it gives you a little bit of protection Um, and, and it gives you kind of one centralized structure under which to sort of run whatever portfolio of creative ventures, um, you want to pursue.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I imagine it's really, as far as industries go, writing is one of the ones where it's probably least necessary, but I imagine you could always- Give out someone's secret in a secret Tampa Bay issue and then book, and then they decide they want to sue. So it would help to have that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, you know, look, I, I I, really, really try to make
1: sure, as I mentioned, that the, the secrets <laughs> I'm sharing are secrets that people want to be shared. Um, <laughs> But, but you never know. I mean, look, it is an uncertain and also a very litigious world. So it's not a bad thing even as an author. Uh, and again, if you're going to be exploring multiple streams, you know, um, uh, if you're going to be writing tours and then writing fiction and, you know, maybe writing haunted house scripts or whatever else, to have sort of one place to centralize those uh, activities kind of makes sense, I think.
0: It's kind of funny thinking about uh, where writing would be as far as categorizing a trademark. Um, mm. Thinking about my stuff specifically, when I went to a trademark chain assembly of all the different categories, I think I ended up falling on printing because printing allows for tons of different sub things like graphic novels, coloring books books, uh, art prints to hang, all of that are different categories that all fit under the overall printing category. When it comes to writing and like things you're going to be doing similar to that, what do you think? I I don't know if you're even if, if you're probably maybe not that close to getting a trademark set up, but have you thought about that? I guess what you would categorize your overall business when that is one that is put on the books?
1: Yeah, and, and you know, it's a great question. I'm not sure that as a writer – I mean I write a lot of these series um, that y- – you know, the the secret sort of series that that serial idea belongs, um, you know, rightful, rightfully to, uh, to reading. Sure. Um, my individual book is kind of a part of that series. So it's I, – I, I mean I guess what some would – it, what other industries would look for a, uh, a trademark in, as an author, you know, y- y, um, uh, you think more about copyright.
0: Okay. So if that was something along the lines of uh, intellectual property or copyright, is that ultimately owned by you or by Reedy Press? Um, what,
1: you know, with the, uh, with the books I produced for Reedy, I believe the content I produced – uh, is technically theirs. Um, so I, I would have to, I've got to remember, I actually haven't looked at that in a while, (laughs) but, um, uh, which is fine. You know, I have no intention of kind of taking that elsewhere, um, or, or, you know, using that in a way that would be competitive or in any way sort of disadvantage, disadvantageous to them. But, uh, you know, I, I also uh, like I said, I feel like I have a very good and and open relationship with them. Where if I had a question about, hey, can I can I legally do this? Do I have the right to to take a chapter as an excerpt and put it, you know, in this anthology of weird local travel? Um, I would ask them, and they, and they would let me know.
0: Okay. All right. Well, let's let's move in a bit to the new book you have coming out soon, the Secret Orlando. Is there anything like specific that really caught your attention as a reason to put together this book?
1: I, you know, I just had so much fun doing uh, Secret Tampa Bay that I had been kind of looking for and, and uh, you know, every once in a while, I try to touch base with the folks at Reedy pretty regularly. And, um, you know, I think at one point I had asked them, oh, you know, have, have you guys thought about doing a Secret Orlando? And at the time... I think they said, "Yeah, you know, we've got somebody who's who's who is looking at doing that," and then I feel like maybe that fell through, hmm. and uh, you you know, I happen to ask at the right time. But um, they've been great because they will, um, y- you know, a- as we kind of work through what's in the pipeline, uh, they know that I'm hungry. They know that I will produce and deliver for them, and so. They they seem to keep uh, sending opportunities my way, and I just am like over the moon about it.
0: <laughs> and I guess if you did have your writing business as an LLC, every trip to Orlando could be written off as a business expense. So that would be a yeah. There.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely because I, I expect you know with with the next two books being on the Orlando area. Um, you know, I explained to my wife that she and I are basically kind of living the next couple of years of our life in uh, in Tamp Lando. <laughs> and then, and then uh, I'm not sure how she feels about this, but the sixth book, which which is due to Reedy in 2024, is Amazing Florida. So that mm. will be the whole state. Oh, OK. That's yeah, cool. the whole the whole big weird state. <laughs>
0: yeah. Are you going to be able to use excerpts from, say, other authors' secret Miami, secret Jacksonville, whatever? I don't know if those exist, but.
1: Yeah, they do. There's secret Jacksonville. Um, you know, I might reach I, – I try to reach out to those authors. And if there's either something that is their favorite that they think everyone who visits Florida absolutely needs to hit, or if there were things that were just a little too far outside of their – their geographic area to cover because you know these books by their nature they they sort of um, focus on on major metropolitan areas but i gotta tell you some of the weirdest stuff in florida is nowhere near a big city so i think um you know i wouldn't want to do a lot of repeat chapters um that have been published elsewhere i'm really big on trying to trying to pioneer content and uh, and really find and write about things that I have not seen written about elsewhere.
0: All right. I think on that note, it's going to be a, a, a great book that I'm excited to see. I, I, my wife and I go to Orlando all the time and there's just so many great things that we just don't have the time to visit. So I'm mm-hmm. definitely looking forward to Secret Orlando. And so uh Our listeners can follow you at SecretTampaBay.com, Facebook.com slash bay, And for you specifically as your author page, that's Instagram.com slash author Joshua Ginsberg, G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. I'm going to link all of those on the show notes. Um, Aside from those and the Secret Orlando book that you said is coming out September 5th, was it?
1: Uh, I think the official date is September 15th, but, 15th. Okay. but if people if people go to that secret or uh, uh, com, they can pre-order copies there.
0: Great. All right, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, Joshua. I have learned a lot from this conversation, and I hope our listeners did too.
1: Well, thank you, Nick. It is always a pleasure and a privilege to speak with you, and I look forward to doing it again soon.
0: Great. Thank you. Art for Profit's Sake is recorded through Riverside FM, distributed through Spotify for podcasters, and edited on Adobe Audition. The music is provided by Old Romans. If you learned anything useful or found this podcast helpful, please rate and review us five stars. If you want to learn more about me or my art, head over to chainassembly.com.